0: So welcome to our VMworld special of uh, Don't Break the Bank, Run It and Change It, our podcast for curious minds in the financial services industry. This episode is called Transformation, Cybercrime and Survival, practical steps to make it hard and time consuming so that the bad guys go for the easier option of the bank next door. So we're delighted to be joined by two of our favorite colleagues and former guests. And uh, we'll do some quick intros. Um, I'm Matthew O'Neill. I'm a former reformed, well, reforming industry managing director. I have spent 30 years of my career in banking and banking IT before joining VMware, And at VMware, I'm part of the Global Industry Solutions Group, looking at cross-industry synergies, solutions, opportunities for customers, partners, and VMware, too. If we can go to you next, please, Jennifer.
1: Sure. Um, And thank you for the welcome, Matthew. I'm I'm really excited to be here with this group of people today to talk about this very hot topic. Uh, My name is Jennifer Manry. I have recently joined VMware, similar background as Matthew. I spent a number of years in the financial services industry, and various technology disciplines and joined VMware to help shape our approach to how we help customers either solve problems or achieve business outcomes that are unique to each industry, whether that's financial services or healthcare or retail. It's really how we as VMware um, operate as a strategic partner to help each of our customers win at the business problems they're trying to achieve and achieve the business outcomes that they're you know in a quest to achieve.
0: Fabulous. Thank you. Welcome back. Tom, great to have you back. Please, can you give us a quick intro about you and your role?
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm the head of cybersecurity strategy for VMware, formerly the CSO of Carbon Black, which is essentially the security division of VMware now. And I also sit on the Cyber Investigations Advisory Board for the Secret Service. And for those of you who don't know, Secret Service is responsible for investigating all financial crimes uh, for US banks.
0: Okay, and of course, my co-host and partner in crime, well, I shouldn't I shouldn't say partner in crime today. Uh, my uh, my good friend Brian Hayes.
3: Partner in crime. That implies we do things wrong apart from podcasts. Um, good afternoon, everyone, Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Tom, for attending. Brian Hayes, I'm the industry Director for Financial Services in EMEA. Um, like Matthew and Jennifer, I've come from the buy side um, and have worked across a number of different disciplines in technology and transformation in financial services.
0: Thank you. Fabulous. So our format is going to try and be true to our uh, Don't Break the Pank podcast format, uh, maybe with a, li- a little bit different. And we've got a special version of our lightning round at the end because uh, Jennifer and Tom have already done all, our, all of our favourite questions. So we've had to come up with some new favourite questions. So uh, so let's get on and let's get into our deep dive.
2: And, and I did a real deep dive. All right, uh, let's get into it. We'll find
0: out everything there is to know. Okay, so to get the conversation started, uh, let's talk about some of the top things that are happening in financial services. So, Jennifer, maybe you could start from your perspective.
1: Sure. Happy to. I mean, as you all know, um, having come from the industry and still spending a lot of time focused on industry outcomes, there there are a lot of things going on in financial services these these days. I'd probably pick three that are very top of mind. The first one is dealing with the change in customer behavior and, and frankly, customer expectations that they have for increasingly better digital experiences. And what I mean by that is they don't just want better for the sake of being better. Um, we're contending from a financial services industry with the experiences that customers are having, not just with financial institutions, but with all of the digital experiences they have. And, and they're you know increasingly wanting more and more personalization convenience and the ability to do more digitally than they ever have before. And I think you know the process and people changes that have to be made to support that, as well as the increasing amount of technology that's involved is a, is a big trend that's going on. I'd say secondly, harnessing the power of data. And that means how, how financial institutions use the oodles and heaps of data that banks you know, accumulate from a variety of things, whether those are customer interactions or even back office interactions, and how they harness it to drive automation, make better and faster decisions, and even you know, use it to drive the personalization that I mentioned in terms of customer expectations. So this means applying things like machine learning and artificial intelligence and, and all the trends around uh, you know, more sophisticated data processing. And then I think the last thing I'd highlight is probably something that will be uh, near and dear to Tom's heart is how you continue to stay one step ahead of cyber threat so that your precious customer and employee data is protected and as well as your reputation. And there's certainly a lot of things that you can read about in the newspaper about you know, the reputational harm that comes from mishaps there. So I think you know staying one step ahead of cyber criminals is certainly a hot topic.
0: OK, well, that's a great start. And uh, Tom, can you tell us about you know top attack vectors and trends that you're seeing?
2: Yes. Uh, from a vector perspective, uh, ironically, spear phishing is no longer number one. Uh, number one is actually application attacks, followed by RDP attacks, uh, followed by attacks on cloud infrastructure and uh, Kubernetes environments. This is evolving. You know, their methodology is getting in and staying in the infrastructure has evolved. But also the cybercrime conspiracy being leveraged by the very robust cybercrime cartels of Eastern Europe, has changed. They now understand what your most valuable assets are. We all know what that is. It's non-public market information. It's the market strategies, it's the merger and acquisitions that we plan on executing in the fall, let's just say. Uh, For that matter, more than 52% of the time, they're realizing that the defender community is realizing that the adversaries are after non-public market information and they're after market strategies as a whole, which really changes the game. In addition, the adversary is more willing to fight back to maintain persistence on systems and you're seeing counter incident response where you're essentially, the heist is becoming a hostage situation. And then finally, we'll address this later, uh, they're more likely to try to commandeer the digital transformation of the institution to use it against their constituency than just the institution as a whole. And this shift is important because they wanna misuse the trust and confidence in the brand to attack your constituency.
0: Okay, okay. So, Jennifer, how does Tom's list there resonate with the conversations you're having, particularly, you know, how the customers should be should be tackling these, maybe give them greater protection, or even to give them, you know, competitive advantage?
1: What Tom just said is exactly why I put... Staying one step ahead of cyber criminals is, you know, one of the top three things that I think every financial institution is is after, right? I mean, he just gave a glimpse into how complicated it is for information security teams and cyber teams to you know, not only defend and protect the assets they have, but also to be proactive in how they're, you know, approaching dealing with these ever-evolving threats. So I think, you know, every customer I talk to uh, is has this as a top priority for them, for sure. And they're taking a very multi-pronged approach. You know, some of them is it's very resource intensive. They're employing a lot of additional tooling, whether it's, you know, additional things across the threat landscape or even additional things like artificial intelligence and behavioral analytics. So I think customers are absolutely out there tackling this thing in a variety of different ways, but it's it's very intense and you can get a sense from that um just based on what Tom has given in terms of top three things that he's seeing in the cyber community.
0: Okay. So do you think that Cyber compliance and protection should be a competitive issue or a tactic, or is it you know just something that the whole industry needs to fix um, and be you know together on?
1: Well, I I think you know from from my perspective, and maybe cyber professionals everywhere will love this opinion. I think it's it's a combination of both, right? And I think it requires um, you know especially in terms of customer expectations and, and how their data is protected and their expectations around privacy. It has to be a thing that is very top of mind from a business perspective with our customers. And and certainly it influences how um, investment um, is provided to cyber to cyber teams. I think you. I often would think you know maybe the cyber teams probably need almost a blank check to keep pace with um, how frequently and fast that pace of changes with cyber criminals and how sophisticated and differing their you know various approaches to exploit exploits are. So I think you know the customers are um, you know certainly investing in programmatic investments um, so that the cyber teams you know, have a, can can at least quantify at least how much investment they think they need, whether it's investment in tooling or even tooling con- consolidation. There's certainly investments in operations and people that are needed to operate the tool, tooling, and then you know, obviously, increasing investment into proactive measures so that it isn't always just a wait for an exploit to happen. Um, and I think what we're also seeing is customers start to invest in things like you know, DevSecOps, right, and having higher uh, collaboration with the information security teams, the operations teams, and development teams to do security by design to make it to make it even more difficult for cyber exploits to happen. So I do think it's not only a, you have to do it for compliance and protection to satisfy not only regulators, but your employees, expe- I mean, your customers' expectations. But it is increasingly something I think that you're seeing um, an investment in because, uh, you know, it, it's a competitive issue.
0: Oh, wow. So I think you, you probably just answered a few of the questions I, th- I was thinking I might try and ask. Her. So that, that's fabulous. So Tom, Other than wanting Jennifer on every call saying, (laughs) yes, uh, cyber teams need as much money as is possible in the budget. Um, What what are your thoughts on on what she's just said there? And, and, you know, in particular, um, you know, the the reality of how these investments get funded. You know, is it a general expense? Is it a cost of doing business? Um, And and how, you know, how do how do we help our customers think of this in, in, in that intrinsically secure way rather than the bolt on way?
2: Well, we have to go back to the original mission statement of financial institutions, which is trust and confidence in the safety and soundness of your assets. And investing in cybersecurity is essentially that. The challenge that I see is, um, I'd say only about 40 percent of financial institutions have their chief information security officers reporting directly to their CEOs. Uh, this, there is a dramatic governance issue. Uh, in the sector when you have your CISO reporting to your CIO, because from an American football perspective, it's like having your defensive coordinator report to your offensive coordinator. Um, it's upside down. And more importantly, the CIO can always veto what the CISO recommends, even though the CISO is inherently trying to manifest greater safety and soundness. And so what I suggest is just from an optics perspective for your shareholders and for your you know, high net worth customers, you should immediately promote your CISO to be reporting to your CDO. I mean, look at Jason Whittier, JP Morgan Chase. He reports directly to Jamie Dimon. I mean, it's a great example right there. In addition, you know, they should have a separate security budget from the IT budget, and they should have veto authority over what the CIO does in, in, with regard to anything that would exacerbate the attack surface, and allow for island hopping to occur or destructive attacks to occur, and we'll discuss island hopping later. But that is essentially when the infrastructure itself is used to attack your customers.
0: So I think we're kind of just blurring into the topic I was going to want to try and cover, actually, which was, you know, where where do you think where do you think we really are on that continuum to walk from um, separate Dev Ops and security teams into the blended team. And, and you know, I, I kind of thinking back some years, admin rights was all the issue and um, and particularly standing admin rights. And, you know, lots of companies went through putting in just-in-time admin, you know, taking out as, as, uh, or layering all of that administration capability in. But that's not all firms. And there's still a lot out there that have standing admin rights. As you move to a DevSecOps model, are you empowering that that group of people with more rights and more abilities, or is there is there something different that we've got to be doing, you know, uh, with with the with the environments? And and can you lump everybody in together dealing with legacy apps or heritage apps and modern apps? You know, as modern apps just got it sorted. You know, what what are your what are your think? You know, what's your thinking there? I mean, maybe Tom, if you can start on that.
2: So let's begin with legacy apps. I mean, you know, legacy apps. The answer to that riddle is essentially application control. Uh, you have to detect behavioral anomalies as they manifest in those applications and suppress those behavioral anomalies in real time. And you need to deploy that in high enforcement. And of course, you know we pioneered, we being Carbon Black, which is part of VMware now, pioneered that capability. Now, when it comes to modern apps, you need to remember that you know, Kubernetes environments can be used as a blessing or a curse. A curse if they're commandeered by an adversary that misuses the builds and enforcing policies policies in general from build to deployment to detect vulnerabilities and misconfigurations must be automated. And so that's where the security team should advise and automate kind of the guardrails on the dev team to ensure that when they're building uh, these environments that there are security gaps that are not missed, um, that the, the new construct, the new application is hardened automatically, and they have continuous visibility into those workloads as they're running to detect behavioral anomalies.
0: Okay, okay. So that's was that both? Was that was that the legacy or the modern apps?
2: Last part was for modern apps.
0: Okay. For legacy
2: apps, it's all about application control and higher. Got enforcement. you, right,
0: okay. So what thoughts then on those that aren't heading down the track? You know, are they in you know for the thoughts on the session we're in, how to get the bad guys focused on the bank next door, you know, is the bank next door the ones that, you know, that are not attack, not tackling these, these issues, you know, how, how do you make sure you're kind of, you're in the fittest position?
2: Okay, look, I think there's really uh, 10 fundamentals of intrusion suppression, as I would call it, because the game has changed, much like zero trust. The construct is we need to acknowledge that they're going to get in, okay, at some point, they're going to get in. And how do you limit their capacity to move laterally, How do you limit their capacity to become destructive? And how do you limit their capacity to commandeer your infrastructure and turn the heist to a hostage situation? So first and foremost, you have to integrate your network detection response capabilities with your endpoint detection response capabilities. You should have shared situational awareness through XDR or something similar to that in your environment. You have to audit current system state in real time. You should automate vulnerability management. You should deploy deception servers and deception technology along attack paths That can't be hardened or attack paths that reach the crown jewels. You should data cloak. Um, You should cloak and obfuscate data associated with your most sensitive intellectual property or strategies. You should segment your networks. You should apply just-in-time administration. No one should have perpetual administrative rights. Um, You should deploy workload and container security. And then lastly, but most importantly, you should be conducting weekly threat hunting. And please, Include the sea levels laptops in those threat <laughs> hunts. I know that's taboo. I know it's taboo, but they're being hunted, and m- many of them are working from home, or they're working from their second home, <laughs> and they're being hunted at home. So you need to detect those behavioral anomalies.
0: Go on, then, Jennifer. Your 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 thoughts there?
1: Aside from wanting to shut all my equipment down, um, so I, you know, I, I wholeheartedly agree with what Tom said. I, I think, you know, personally. When I look back at my roles prior to coming to, to VMware, the notion of DevSecOps before it kind of became this thing called DevSecOps was really important to me because I felt like having the organizations that helped protect the company from exploits like the ones that Tom just mentioned were important to have at my side from the very inception of thinking about a new development product project or you know implementing a new product right and so. You know, having those teammates be part of my team and be part of their team was really important to me because they they would help protect me from things that I didn't even know existed. And they, they understand a lot more about some of these um, issues than, than I ever will, right? So I do think that DevSecOps is still a journey though for a lot of companies because it isn't it isn't just a tech change. It, it really is a, a cultural or people and even a process change Because, you know, I think historically these organizations have run independently and they sort of see each other as toll gates to pass on the way in order to get to production, right? So, I think that a lot of companies are starting to really um, harness the collaboration and much, much you know, shift everything left, so they get the full benefit of everybody's eyes on things at a much earlier time. Because look, it's it's a probably a lot easier to do the things that Tom just said and design for security in mind at the beginning than it is to chase. Um, you know, vulnerabilities and the maintenance of legacy technology and and things of that nature when it's already in production out in the wild. Right. So um, I think you're seeing a high burden on technology operations teams where they're straddling both how to do DevSecOps and implement it, but also to manage the the applications that are already out there and, you know, in production and aging.
2: I just want to add to that, that the adversary has changed. Yeah, of course. Rogue nation states are using their cyber criminal communities as national assets to offset economic sanctions rogue nation states intelligence communities are building zero day exploits that they're giving to various cyber crime groups whether it's fin7 wizard spider i didn't come up with these names evil corp or dark matter who are all connected frankly to the intelligence services of the former soviet bloc so you're dealing with an adversary that's using advanced weaponry coupled with their long-term goal is to maintain persistence and offset economic sanctions.
1: Yes, that.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there's, there's two things. There's two, there's two observations. First observation is I think this is where people stop and rewind the recording because they're going to have a checklist Tom and they're going to go, I haven't got any of them. And on Monday morning when I go into the office, I need to check which ones of these I've got. And then they're going to listen to the piece from the Jennifer piece, and they're going to go, "No, I haven't got any of them. I don't think I'm doing any of them either, right?" Because I think and, a lot of and people. And also, are they're re- going to
1: rewind at the beginning, Brian, because they're going to say, "Tom said the C-Social report of the CEO, and Jennifer said the cyber organization should have a blank check for investment." So <laughs> yeah. I feel like we've, we've made a lot of people's
0: days.
2: <laughs> yeah, did Tom just say "Withers Spider"? I mean, really? Yeah, no, no, that's right. I,
0: yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, I, I've, I just, I have. I have a recollection of very old Marvel comics and I'm going to go back and I'm going to fun my way through them and I'm going to find, I'm just going to make names up. That's what I'm going to
0: do. I'm the, you know, that's what I'm going to do. Um, so what, a question for me. But, but they do, but they don't, don't, don't they sound like things out of an Austin Powers movie? no. Yeah. yeah that, <laughs> that? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um,
3: a, a, a question to, to both of you and, and, and Jennifer, I'll, 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 I'll ask you to answer it first. talk about what good looks like all right in terms of how our customers and and generically across all industries but in this case particularly financial services are orchestrating themselves we've talked about investment we've talked about do we turn it into a project-based outcome but I think I'd like your view really in terms of this is not something that's ever going to go away this is not a it's not. It's not build a bridge to the other side and go. Hey, I've, I've built a bridge. This is about. I, it's not going to get easier, and that's my point. So, people who are listening to this are going to be thinking, well, if I go and get all that money, and if I report to the CEO, does that come to a natural end? And I'd like your view in terms of what's you know what's coming down that that road. Um, you know, from your discussions with our with our customers, and then Tom. I guess some of some of this is where it would get frightening. Some of the things that you're starting to see in here, I want to say practically, that's the wrong word horribly, in terms of what's happening, you know, from those rogue nations. So Jennifer to you, please.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm just gonna piggyback on something that Tom ended his last um, you know, answer with, which is the cyber criminals are evolving and the threat landscape is evolving, and the exploits are evolving. So this isn't a point in time. Hey, I need to ask for a blank check. I'm going to implement all this tooling and hire a bunch of people. And when we get to the end of 18 months, we'll be safe. Um, because that's that's not the case. Uh, you know, as these exploits evolve, and as um, you know, the, the cyber criminals evolve, and frankly, as the technology that the cyber criminals use to perpetrate their crimes evolve, this is a permanent state, right? So this level of investment funding, the level of intensity of focus from the cyber teams all the way up to the CEO. Is, is likely going to be something permanent. Uh, you know, I think there are lots of investments that um, the teams can do to outfit themselves better with, you know, the, the kinds of technology they need to be able to do the behavioral analytics with or the um, to do the threat hunting with. But I don't see a time where cyber criminals are like, ah, oh, you got me, um, No, there's no money left in this and there's no point in trying to, to um, perpetrate this criminal activity. I think it will continue to evolve and the cyber teams need to be right there prepared to um, at least be you know at the pace of those um, cyber activities, if not trying to be proactively out in front of them.
2: And please remember, the goal is not just to, to burglarize the institution. The goal is to use the institution against its constituency. The goal is to steal non-public market information the goal is to maintain persistence in that in that environment and so decreasing growth time and inhibiting their capacity to move laterally or to tune your turn your institution into a weapon against your customers is now the goal
0: brian that's the bit we're going to be thinking yeah about that's, right? that's the one that will keep me
3: awake uh, yeah tom can i okay can I, uh, so can i My let me just ask one, no, one go more on. question so tom, tom when, we, when you came on before you talked about island hopping. And what was going on in the marketplace about island hopping? You've just mentioned it again. What's your observation now in terms of the intensity of it? How broadly is it being done, et cetera?
2: Yeah, so solar winds didn't occur in a vacuum. And, in fact, the most significant island hops of this past year were either Kaseya or the Microsoft uh, attacks. But that being said, please don't see island hopping as being limited to technology vendors or supply chain attacks Um, Island hopping also occurs with financial institutions infrastructures, it occurs with government agency infrastructures, because of the implicit trust placed in banks and government agencies, networks and systems. It's changed. It used to be network based, obviously you can imagine that, and then it evolved to watering hole attacks, which are not limited to your websites, please, it's also they correspond to your mobile applications that you've developed that can be corrupted and used to attack your customers. Then they evolve to reverse business email compromise where they take over the O365 environment or the exchange environment, and then use it to attack your C-level or your most significant customers. And now you're seeing the evolution as they embrace API attacks. And they're embracing the APIs that are being built out with the FinTech vendors. So just as a recommendation here, much more scrutiny needs to be paid Uh, So not only the security of your O365 environment and who actually has administrative rights, but also to the APIs you built out with that very cool fintech vendor recently to provide that new service. A lot of those smaller, uh, high-tech niche players don't actually have effective cybersecurity controls in place.
0: All right. So I'll try and just change that slightly. One of the other things we talked about before was active defense strategies, And I kind of may, I don't know whether I've, I don't know whether I'm going to get this wrong in the way I represent it. Are you saying that those that are attacked should attack back? No. Or is there something else? So, so what's your thought there? There's
2: two parts to this. Okay. First, you have to imagine active defense as a spectrum of activity. It begins from watermarking or tracking data, right? And using things like DLPs uh, all the way through the use of, deception technology to micro sharding, which is essentially fragmenting your data when it leaves your infrastructure or data tainting, obfuscating the integrity of the data or data cloaking, following through actually tracking um, your data outside of your environment as to where it went, which technically is illegal right now under the Computer Intrusions (laughs) Act in the US, Uh, following through with actively corrupting or destroying your data when it has landed where the person has stolen it to, All the way through attacking the network of the operator who has stolen your data. Now, I don't recommend the last two, um, (laughs) but I do think, I do think, you know, here's some, the greatest terrible secret is that American law enforcement in the US and in the UK right now do not have the authority to actively attack the infrastructure of dark web groups, whether it's Wizards Fighter or or Dark Matter. Uh, They don't have the authority under law. And then the military community doesn't want to take on criminal actors and they only take on terrorist actors. And you have this nexus of cyber criminals that are doing the bidding of governments and there's this gap. So right now, U.S. law enforcement and U.K. law enforcement rely on the authorities that the Australians, the Australians have recently given, the Estonians, the Ukrainians, and the rest to actively disrupt and conduct true active response to those environments. But one thing that is necessary is that greater authority should be given to Western law enforcement to disrupt those economies of scale.
0: So if you work in a bank, do you want to put your sock in one of those jurisdictions that can actively hack back?
2: No, but I would say that you should, you should immediately <laughs> become a participant in the Cyber Fraud Task Forces, which are the merger of the Financial Crimes Task Forces and Electronic Crimes Task Forces of the Secret Service. And they've gone global. Uh, they exist in London now. They exist in Rome now. They exist in Singapore now. And it's a great way to have touch points with not only the Secret Service, but the FBI and local law enforcement on the ground uh so that when something does happen you can actually you know send that text message via signal or make that phone call uh to get some real help
0: so i say it with a little a little bit um, flippantly but uh, you know it's a serious it's a serious topic so brian jennifer your your thoughts here then from having you know come from the other side yeah do you think do you think there's like a regulatory or you know even a reputational risk nightmare here that, um, mm-hmm. that, yes, uh, yes to there's, all those there's, things, there's control <laughs> yeah. or, or, or would you want your financial services institution to go out of its way to defend your data?
1: You know, I mean, as much as, um, as much as I like the image of vigilante banks out there, you know, <laughs> meeting out justice against cyber criminals on their own, and as much as I'd like to say that would give me some sort of peace of mind, that knowing that the information security teams weren't out there just kind of defending the vote, but they were like proactively. <laughs> thwarting cyber criminals. Um, I, I think for many of the reasons that Tom just mentioned, I, I don't think that the banks should be out there doing this on on their on their own for, for good reasons. Like Tom mentioned the fact that, that in, in certain countries they don't even have the ability to, uh, to to do this legally. So it seems like going out and trying to hack back or proactively attack these cyber organiza- these cyber criminal organizations is something far better suited to law enforcement agencies or government agencies um, because frankly, it feels like it's fraught with all sorts of issues if something goes wrong, right? That it ultimately could impact the company's reputation. It could cause some sort of geopolitical issue or or even worse, some sort of national security issue. So, you know, I think that the notion of a bank out there hacking the cyber criminals and you know seems kind of cool. But just that when you kind of unpick it for how complex it would be for co- companies to not only do it, but to do it in a way that doesn't cause reputational harm or national security issues, I would say. The, the banks should stick to really good, you know, defense and identification of issues, and be as proactive as possible. But not be out there trying to attack the dark web on their own. But Brian, yeah. feel free to jump
3: in. Well, I, I, I'm just going to be slightly more controversial. I think the banks have a hard enough time being defensive, let alone offensive. It's a different 100%. mindset, right? It's it's a it's a diff- to use Tom's American football analogy. You bring a different team in to do the defense as opposed to the offense, right? And they're skilled differently. They're set up differently. The mindset's different, and the way they go about it. Um, and you know, uh, you know, without being, being disrespectful to any of the banks that I have spoken to recently, they're all struggling with defence. To then turn that around and say we're going to hire more people, we're going to invest more people, and we're going to go after whoever it may will be, um, I think that would be a that would be a failure. It'll be be a failure that a lot of people would say, as long as it doesn't happen to me and it happens next door, then I can go to my boss and say, see, told you, can I have more money to do the defense? That would be my (laughs) thing. There's one thing they can do. There's one thing they can do.
2: They need to get sufficient ground truth or telemetry within their infrastructure as to where the adversary came from, where they went, what they've done, and what they've done thereafter And be able to join the information sharing community, whether it's the FSISAC or the cyber fraud task forces, and willingly and proactively share that information uh, with those groups. Now, remember, there's an overclassification of data that goes on. We don't need to know, you know, who and you just need to know the what and the how. The what and the how should be shared more vigorously and it should go beyond essentially malware samples. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. So, look, in the uh, in the interest of time, because we're on the VMworld clock today, not just the podcast clock. um, Do you maybe do a bit of wrapping up in this in this section? So, Jennifer, any final thoughts before we move on?
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I just put a finer point on the fact that even though we've covered a lot of ground in terms of, cybersecurity and financial services and trends and things that are happening, I I would end by stating something that probably sounds obvious, that when you wanna get to true business and digital transformation, it's really inextricably linked to high quality cyber protection. And that need for tight collaboration between all the teams that run these organizations is really critical. Um, I said earlier, I always valued having my teammates and those functions be right at my side in everything that I did. And I think more and more of that is gonna need to be necessary If true digital transformation is going to happen in a safe way. So that's how I would end my part.
2: I would just say be vigilant. Transform into vigilant fashion. That's the only way you're ever going to be sustainable uh, from the threats of today.
0: We'll try this. I'm not sure whether it will make it to the final final cut. So let's go into our crystal ball. I see the future.
1: Really? Well, what do you have, a crystal ball?
0: What's going to happen? Listen, if you know something, you got to tell me. So, so Tom, you you finished that section there talking about the threats of today. Let's let's think a little bit about the threats of tomorrow. And yeah, you know, where where do you think AI is going to take financial services uh, on on that journey? You know, is it going to introduce stricter security measures? Is it going to enable uh, you know a, a, a completely new breed of of uh, of attack or a whole new breed of defence? What what are your what are your quick thoughts on AI in financial services?
2: I think artificial intelligence will get rid of a lot of the noise um, and allow for defenders to be more distinct and have higher fidelity as to how they defend the infrastructure. That being said, AI has two, two Achilles heels. And as we're seeing in recent types of attacks against the value of time and active directory and the manipulation of time to off activity... If you were to manipulate the time associated with AI, you would corrupt the AI. If you would manipulate the, the inputs and pollute the inputs to the AI, you do the same thing. So we need to be vigilant in how we defend the AI and we need to respect that chronos attacks are here, uh, attacks against time.
0: Excellent. Actually, um, refer back to previous podcasts where we <laughs> talked about attacking attacking time servers as well, right? Jennifer, thoughts?
1: I, I feel like Tom and I should have coordinated our answers beforehand because I would say the exact same thing. I, um, you know, I think it will help in many ways, get through um, you know this deluge of information to get to insights and information faster, right? That will um, certainly assist information security teams in identifying where there's some sort of behavioral anomaly or something that's happening in the environment that allows them to react faster and reduce the blast radius of an exploit, right? So I think the AI will certainly help um, you know organizations like information security. I do think that the other the other piece of that is that you know once. You start leveraging um, artificial intelligence and the data that comes with it. I think you'll need to have really good governance and certainly information security controls because more and more people will want to use the data and put AI on it, and you need to be able to, you know, certainly protect it from any sort of inadvertent exposure, you know, of your customer or employee data. So I think in some ways it will help information security controls, and, and like Tom said, cut through the noise so you can get to information faster. I think in other ways, as people get more mature with using AI, there will need to be better governance and controls around where the data is and how the data is used.
0: Fabulous. Fabulous. Uh, okay. So um, as uh, regular listeners will know, all of what we've just talked about now is just warm up for the next final <laughs> round.
3: Uh, we usually call it the lightning round. Okay. Welcome to the super awesome bonus lightning round. The
0: lightning round begins now. OK, so um, remember, pass is an option, although we may take uh, have some fun with you if you try to pass. And um, I, we have a completely new set of questions for this. So let's start with a nice and easy one. Uh, what's your favourite breakfast food that you always choose if it's on the menu? Start with you, Tom.
3: Pancakes.
0: Bacon. OK, Brian. My go. Uh, are we doing all the food ones first. This is going to be a foodie one. Uh, what's your comfort food? Cupcakes cheese okay so um i'm gonna do this last food one um so what was your least favorite food as a child and do you still hate it or do you love it now
1: i'm gonna go with peas and no i still don't eat them
2: (laughs) bananas but i do eat them now because they're good for
3: me (laughs) there you go Unlike the bacon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a bacon what episode. Thomas just said is I have I have bananas wrapped in bacon and cheese, and I find them really healthy. <laughs> 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 okay. Um, okay, we'll move on. Um, what is your earliest technology experience? All
1: right, I'll go. I, I think the earliest one I can remember was I was given a remote control car, and I disassembled the whole thing to – try to learn how it actually worked, and then force myself to reassemble it with the goal that I can make it work again. So that's the first thing I took apart and then reassembled successfully to try to learn how the technology actually worked.
2: Uh, Nintendo, the original Nintendo developing cheat codes so I could become a super user for Mario Brothers. That's
0: awesome. Oh, there you go. That's <laughs> pretty cool, pretty <laughs> cool. Um, so how do you stay productive and motivated working virtually? Tommy, um, you want to take this? No, I mean, I work
2: out every day when I, right when I get up and get my blood flowing and think about my day. And I meditate. So, yeah.
1: I um, will say that today, uh, which is a little bit anomalous day, but most days I start with a really strong cup of coffee to get me ready to go. Um, and my puppies sit alongside of my feet during the day. So every now and then when I have a break in between meetings, I get a little bit of snuggle time with them to re-energize myself for whatever next meeting is coming up.
2: What kind of pups?
1: Uh, I have a brother and a sister um, from the same litter. They're half poodle, half Pekingese. So peek-a-poos. One's black and one's white. And if if we had time for pictures, I'd show you that they sleep in a yin and yang um, format on the floor next to me. (laughs) They're my reminder of balance um, during the day.
0: I think we need to put a, a picture of that on our show notes.
1: You can totally have one. (laughs)
0: right fabulous
3: okay um so we asked a question before about ice cream that you both responded to but so um and given all due respect you're both american we'll ask a question about pizza so um what is your favorite pizza topping sausage
1: um like all of them
0: I see. I thought Tom was going to say bacon. <laughs> okay.
1: Bacon and cheese. Why not? I mean, like, I don't feel like I should be uh, discriminate. They're all delicious.
0: Okay. So, so I've got the next, the follow up question to this. What's the worst pizza topping you could ever have so bad that it should be outlawed?
2: Anchovies. I am not to make it like that. And would you? Drive me crazy.
1: I I would have to agree. I mean, like I I will eat a pizza with anchovies on them. I think hate is a strong word, but like if I, you know, I'm not going to order it unless someone puts it in front of me and I have to eat it.
3: Okay. So we've talked about technology and we've talked about apps and everyone, I know we're all going to go back to the apps now because Tom's asked us to do that and delete them off our phone. But if you had to delete all but three apps off your phone, which ones would you keep?
1: Right. I'm keeping signal. (laughs) I'm keeping a browser. And please don't judge me, but I'm also
2: keeping Facebook. I'm keeping Signal. I'm keeping a browser. And uh, don't judge me. I, I prefer Instagram.
1: Hey, I feel
0: better oh, now, Tom. Wow. There you go. There you go. Okay. I'm just not in with the cool kids. No. Um, although we already knew that. Um, so, um, final question. Um, what was the weakest password you ever had? And do you still use it today? Tom?
2: Well... <laughs> um, I think it was my original home address back in Maryland when I grew up there for a couple of years, and followed by an exclamation point. And no, I don't. <laughs> no surprise.
1: All right, I'm going to say um, admin. Oh, no, I don't go. use admin
0: anymore. Okay, I was going, oh, for Tom's. I was going to if he said yeah, i still might use it somewhere because like, we already know his mother's maiden name and we know his birthday from LinkedIn. So we were uh, we were uh, we were going to be. Dead, right? My birthday in Lincoln is
2: actually not correct. I purposely. Oh,
0: snap. foiled
2: oh, <laughs>
3: Oh. Well
1: played, Tom. Thank you.
3: I like the way that, that Tom just awesome. slipped it in. <laughs> trying. You, you just got trying.
1: It, Tom, is it a honeypot? Is it a that you've set up on your LinkedIn page? that is fantastic.
3: <laughs> I have done
2: something unique on my LinkedIn page because I get a lot of trolls, but that's neither here nor there.
0: Wonderful. <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. Look, thank you. Thank you both. Um, as always, uh, a pleasure to... Uh, To talk with you. Um, And we we learn so, so much. So um, thank you again. And um, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Excellent. Thank you all.
1: Thank
2: you.
0: Okay, so whilst we ask our VMworld colleagues to go and complete the online survey, let me say to keep up with the latest from Jennifer and from Tom and their work at VMware, please do follow them on Twitter and on LinkedIn. They are there despite what was just said. We'll have links to them in our show notes and hopefully a photo of Jennifer's dogs too. As always, if we can help you in any way, please talk with your VMware account team or you can connect to us through LinkedIn. Just search for Brian Hayes or Matthew O'Neill at VMware. You can also follow me on Twitter at Matthew O'N, or our podcast on Twitter at DBTBpod. And you can find our show notes at don'tbreakthebankpodcast.com. If you like our podcast and could leave us a review and comment on Apple Podcasts, that would be really appreciated. And if you have ideas for future episodes or even wish to appear as a future guest, please do get in touch. We hope you can join us again next time. Please do take care.